So welcome to another show. Uh, today we've got Daryl Knaus on the show, who's a technologist and an author. So welcome to today's show, Daryl. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. So first things first, actually, because you don't really get many people that are Mensons. So fellow Menson. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I um uh, I joined Mensa probably, I guess, what is it, almost 20 years ago. And uh, I think it was, it was like the social club aspect of it was what I thought was kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, doing that kind of stuff, but then I got a family. And so I don't really participate in much of the activities, but still carry the card and happy to be a member. So why did you uh, decide to to take it? Did you also class yourself as quite intelligent or were you sort of push to take it in some respect people would say i'll oh, try taking this iq test see what you get what was the reason behind that um i think if i'm being perfectly honest there's probably a vanity component to it a little bit and you know so uh, when i was a kid they had uh, in elementary school had programs that were called um a, a gifted student uh programs of some sort that you could kind of test into and then you could get out of class for you know maybe an hour a day and and go do games with other kids that had tested in the same in the same way, and so I think that that had kind of planted the seed in me that you know perhaps uh, you know it'd be worth kind of getting that that validation of paper of some sort. <laughs> I look at you know now you know I just uh, it's an organization to be a part of and it looks okay on the resume. So that's my yeah. Story. I think that's, that's true. I think with all always with with accomplishments, there is always some level of selfishness or vanity to it. Um, that's just the way that human beings are, are wired essentially but um, as you said it's it's still a good thing to be part of um, it gives you I think for me as well it gives you um, a lack of excuses I think because you know because you are deemed to be intelligent you can't then say well I, I wasn't intelligent enough I wasn't x y and z you have to then say and sort of live up to that expectation in in some respects so i can see yeah. that you are in some respects living up to that expectation of intelligence <laughs> and you have written a book you want to talk a little bit about the book itself but also about the, the underlying aspect of where you came to uh to, to write the book um namely taoism and uh Lao Tzu. yeah for sure so um so the book, it's uh, called The Architect Way, and it is an adaptation of the Tao Te Ching. And, uh, and by adaptation, I mean it is a, a reflection in in substance and, and uh, intent. So 81 chapters reflected in, in 81 chapters in the book. And... Um, it is. Uh, it takes that that perspective of the Tao Te Ching and 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 adapts it into the language of technology development um, and kind of the business aspects of of technology development. Uh, just to talk a little bit about sort of how I came to to even doing this in the first place. Um, I, so I've had a pretty long career in technology development and building software systems for some pretty big companies, and uh, my role has been uh, what you would call a solutions architect, generally meaning sort of at the beginning, take an idea, go from the nothing to something kind of stages. And then um, eventually you hand that off to engineering teams who who flesh it out and, and then end up uh, delivering those, those systems. Uh, one of the interesting parts about, you know, technology in general, but, but the solution architect phase in particular is um, that there's a lot of intuition that goes into it and that the sort of genesis of an idea you can read lots of books that can give you the backgrounds on how technology works, but when you want to 
translate a, a need, uh, you know, whether it's a business need or personal need or, you know, whatever it is that technology is intended to address, when you want to translate that into an actual system, um, there's a, there's a, a, uh, an intuition that comes with that that is difficult to, to, to put into words. And, uh, but, but it shares a lot of characteristics with some of the things that you get out of Taoism. So you want your systems to be harmonious and you want them, you have to recognize that they're interconnected and they need to be adaptable. And, and there's a lot of the, the themes that I picked up through my you know understanding of Taoism and, and, and reading through um, the literature that I embodied in my personal life and that I ended up seeing reflected in uh, my professional life in producing good results. And so, you know, when the, when the question comes up of like, well, you know, what's the secret to your success if, you know, to be you know bold enough to say such a thing, but um, that, that secret in my mind is the, the philosophical understanding of those things that are really difficult to describe and put into words and how you can sort of visualize a system to make it uh, kind of come to life. So, so for me, like Taoism, I don't know how much the, the, the sort of listeners know what it is. And I think with any philosophy, it's really how you explain it and how you sort of understand it. But for me, Taoism is about sort of flow and not forcing things so much. As you said, about intuition and Wu Wei, I think they use the terminology mm-hmm. for is basically not forcing and not rowing against the tide, but in fact, setting the sail and allowing the, the waves to take you and I mean, I do judo, for example. It's something that they talk about in judo a lot is use the movement of another individual to throw them across the room as opposed to trying to force, force your way. Is that what your understanding of it is? Is it, um, of it is rather? And how does then that translate into the specifics of technology? So you mentioned um, um, intuition, for example. Is that going with the flow of what you think the solution is, or is that a case of the actual technology itself behaving in a way that's as clean as it can be in, in some respects? Yeah, so I think it's a lot of what you were kind of hinting at there at the end, where I think the the idea of the Wu Wei, the kind of effortless action, that is a that is a hallmark of a technology system that is optimally designed. And to the extent that that the Tao Te Ching is, is sort of the way of, of virtue, the the architect way would be the approach that that produces a system that is uh that you could say is defined by this sort of effortless way. Now in in achieving that, there's there's um many other notions that's that are sort of adjacent to the to the effortless way which is you know th- when things are in balance when things are simplified when you recognize the interconnectivity of things um being able to adapt those those would all be what i would consider to be um kind of adjacent behaviors that would lead to or that would be uh you know indicate that you're acting in 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 a the effortless action way so when you're building a, a technology system and if you're you're if that's your intention is to have uh you know the most efficient system the one where you know data flows with the least resistance where you have the lowest latency in in request and response times where systems can integrate without a lot of you know overhead and maintenance those are all you know signs of, of effortless action achieving that 
is, you know, through many of the other kind of notions that are described in the Tao Te Ching, which are, um, again, the balance, recognizing the interconnectivity, harmony, those kind of uh, aspects. Yeah, because what I think what a lot of people don't understand is we've obviously used the terminology of basically not trying and and not forcing things. That is very different, isn't it, than being lazy in, in some respects. It's basically trying to use every part of um your strength in the most efficient way possible so is it for you about the efficiency or efficacy of the program itself or the structure of the solution to make sure that as you said it falls in harmony within itself within itself without giving out um waste product if, if you like mm-hmm. yeah so i like one example of a of the kinds of uh, decisions and technology trade-offs that you would be considering uh, and then looking at it through the lens of the sort of effortless action might be the trade-off between usability of a system and its security. And there's the, the there's a natural tension there, right? Because if you, the more secure a system is, the more difficult it is to gain access to the data behind it, for example. And so that shows up for users of a system as, you know, the system is might be slow and, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And what I will say is that, that the, the path, the least of, of least action is not one where you say, well, no security wide open, everything just flows freely, right? That's not exactly the, the, the point. It's more, how can you um, achieve a balance where everybody's uh, intentions feel satisfied and in flow of the system. So users have the right amount of access to their data and they have it in the way that's that's agreeable to them from a security perspective. You as the custodian of that data are able to apply reasonable amounts of control and you make those trade-offs and you uh, are you know considerate of that of that balance. And that that consideration and those trade-offs then lead to a system that will will sort of serve these kind of um, effortless action needs. And I hope that kind of makes makes sense there. Yeah. Is, is there an element there, that, that though, of some utilitarianism with respect? I think you said that to keep more parts of the system or people operating the system happy. So that's something that you, again, balance would come into the, the forefront there, wouldn't it? If, for example, mm-hmm. with society today, You've obviously got the leaders, the bourgeoisie that are, are running everything, and they're the happy ones, and everyone else is probably less happy. The um, the, the working class, um, as it as it were, is it a case of that as well within the system? You're saying, well, there's got to be a balance. There's got to be some security, and security's got to be happy at six out of ten. But also, there's got to be some user friendliness that's a six out of ten. So across the board maybe a six out of 10 for each aspect is better than 10 out of 10 security, but zero out of 10 for usability, et cetera. Is that essentially what you're referring to with, with regards to the, the, the balance or the harmony within, within such a situation? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that balance becomes easier when you, uh, in the context of some of those other themes like simplicity, right? So, um, it, one of the things that um, 
that got my attention very early on with the Tao Te Ching was actually the very first lines in the uh, the very first chapter around um, that you know if you can talk about whatever Tao you're describing isn't actually the thing right it's bigger than that and there's there's and so um, you know when you kind of accept that then then simplicity sort of feels like it it's a it's the good counterpart to um, to the kind of contemplations that you have to do in making these, these sort of balances. And so, uh, you know, if you're talking about, uh, you know, in a, a, a social system, say not necessarily a technical system, but a social system that has, you know, the, the custodians of social order, and then the, you know, the individuals that are sort of living within that, that, um, society, and there's an imbalance there, um, the, the, the needs of, of, of everybody can, can, can get complicated. And so sometimes there's kind of a reductionist view is, is helpful. Um, utilitarian is, is kind of tricky uh, because I think that there's a, um, in, in my view, it, it might lead to a kind of a never ending cycle of, of implied considerations and consequence between individuals, you know? And so, um, rather than sort of take that kind of, you know, the, the, the implications of all of these sort of adjustments across folks, another interesting, um, kind of takeaway from the Tao Te Ching is the one of interconnectedness where there is a, there's a state where we're all connected and, and, uh, and seeing, seeing things as a kind of a timeless state can be really both like simplifying and, and, and helpful, uh, when sort of trying to find where the virtues and benefits are of, of certain certain things. Yeah, I mean, coming back to what you said about the utilitarianism, and I think that's the big disadvantage with with thinking in that respect, because it's well, then how do you put weight on who should be happiest? There, there's there's no equal parameters as to which should be the happiest, because at the end of the day, a child who's unhappy because they didn't get their sweets should not have the mm -hmm. same weighting as a parent who's unhappy with how their child has been brought up so again it's a lot more complex than that isn't it but coming back to your, your second point about the child of ching my one of my favorite parts and it's quite the start as well is says something along the lines of i don't know it word for word but the basic premise is that nature doesn't force anything but it still gets everything done mm -hmm. and yeah that's what you're trying to allude to isn't it that you would like something a, a, a program or ourselves as individuals to get things done but without having to really you know back break really to get things done is that is that fair to say yeah oh yeah absolutely I, you know the um the one of the biggest sources of of tension that you would want to alleviate uh and these sort of forces of nature if you will that you know in an ideal state they just kind of get things done i think you can find that parallel when you're talking about technology development and business in in resource management just to be like super you know, ground level about the whole thing. Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, resource, the, that's an area where you can talk about both technical resources and also individuals and, and people and how they, you know, you know, contribute when they're all working in the, uh, when they're all sort of bought into the system and recognizing the balance, um, you know, prioritizing the, the effortlessness of it all, uh, that's when systems work best. That's when, that's when things just think good things happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, they, it's, it's like a well that springs and you don't really know where, it, you know, what's, where it's coming from exactly, but, um, 
but it produces good stuff. So, so outside then of, of the technological aspect, what sort of practical lessons have you learned from obviously the the book itself, but also your own book? What key parts of that do you think are reflective of not only technology, but also ourselves? Because at the end of the day, there is a lot of crossover between many different things, technology, nature, ourselves as individuals. And that's a beautiful yeah. thing about these sort of scriptures if you like and ideas um what can what can we as individuals take from this and apply to our our own life so i think there's a couple of insights that i've uh carried with me through my um you know evolution and understanding of the taoist works and of the tao teaching in particular the um so the first one is just at, at a practical level, being able to take principles that have such a universal um, fit to them. And so that, you know, the subtitle of the book is requirements for a universal framework and framework is a kind of a technically overloaded term that describes a, a kind of mental models and some tools that you can use for decision-making and, and, and interpreting uh, the world. And so Taoism in its, in its notions of um, Wu Wei and of um, of harmony, are easily trans uh, translatable to the full spectrum of your life experiences. And what what was a kind of a revelation to me was that this was a philosophy that didn't require the normal kind of uh, philosophical context switching that happens sometimes when you have a professional life and a personal life. You know, you step into the office and now you've got there's you're in an environment of corporate values and, you know, and leadership principles and, you know, whatever the, the company you're working for happens to sort of deem as the, you know, cultural um, uh, tenants. And then you go home with your family and they're not, and your, you know, profit oriented uh, mindset is not necessarily going to be the same. But what uh, Taoism offers is a way to, to kind of reconcile those and to live a life that is that where the virtues of uh, simplicity Effortless action uh, and harmony can can carry you through twenty four hours a day, and so uh, I found that to be really helpful. And I and I think once I once I didn't feel like I needed to do that sort of context switching, it's um, it it liberated me to do better in both in my personal and my professional life. I, it was it was a it was a form of work life balance that sounds almost as if you're merging the two, but it it is, but it's it's not a you're not bolting together a work and a and a personal life. You're actually living authentically in your whole life, and I think that that's the sort of balance that that I just thought was really um, helpful for me. And then the second um, takeaway that I got as this was more from the you know just the the deeper reading of the of the material and understanding of how to how to kind of live this way was um, that you can take large aspects of our culture, our society. And in this case, I'll just say like, say technology, just as a, as a topic, it is, uh, it is our phones. It is our computer systems. It's, you know, it's our history of tools. It's, it's a, it's an entire dimension to our human existence, but that it, it has and can operate under the same uh, principles and the same framework 
that is described at the kind of macro universe level that is describing the Tao Te Ching. So you can say, you know, universally, harmony, uh, the sort of eternal nature of things, uh, the adaptability and interconnectedness, they work in sort of like the sort of kaleidoscopic way, or um, there's a, there's another term for it where the sort of macro elements are reflected in each of the components, but in their totality. And so that I thought was was pretty insightful for me and, and helpful to um, to really see those parts of of that human experience through each individually and separately through the lens of the kind of Taoist principles. Yeah, I think the first point you make there is actually relative to everyone, isn't it? The reason that people hate their jobs is because they're doing a job that they they are forcing themselves to do for a wage that they don't even enjoy, as opposed to a football player who, like Lionel Messi, for example, it's just so natural for him. He he earns more than the average Joe, but he's doing something that is in line with his gifts that he enjoys doing. And he's sort of flowing through the pitch, flowing through life. I think that's a really good way to to look at it um, as well for for individuals to say, well, what what is easy for you? What do you not have to force? Are you a speaker? Can you write and it just sort of comes out of out of the pen? There's a a great poem by Charles Bukowski um, talks about do you want to be a writer? And he says things such as if you have to sit there and look at the laptop screen or PC screen, you're not you know it's not made for you unless it comes pouring out of you and it writes by itself it's not mm. it's not there for you is that what happened to you when you wrote the book was it just a an idea that came out of you when you'd got the inspiration it was just a case of this is what i have to do and i must do it yeah the the writing of the book once the once the sort of commitment arose to do it uh the writing of the book was pretty uh, pretty smooth that I didn't run into a lot of hiccups. I think it, you know, by that point I had already kind of internalized a lot of the thinking and, um, uh, and I'm really drawing a lot on my own, you know, professional experience that, you know, in themes that I talk about a bunch. So it came out pretty quickly, but, you know, one of the things you had, you had said earlier, which I think is worth talking a little bit more about, um, or at least I, you know, I'd love to hear how your, what your take is on this idea, but that, um, yeah, if we can all find careers that are effortless for us, that work, you know, where we are um, feeling natural and at ease and, you know, those kinds of things, I think that's, that is the ideal for everyone. Um, I wonder if that's not a, a you know, a practical, uh, there's not practical challenges there, right? And some, and many folks are going to find themselves in careers just through, you know, just the nature of opportunity and luck and, you know, where they, you know, the path that life takes them on, going to find them in the jobs at the potential that they don't like. They don't like um, for a variety of reasons. Um, they don't have passion for for the domain. They don't feel like they're particularly very good at it, or maybe they feel like they're, they're too good and they're underpaid. Um, one of the things that I think that, that having a, this philosophy of, harmony and effortless action can do and especially the the kind of living authentically and merging your your viewpoints is it allows you to enjoy your job better and then not to say like you there's no goal to have people be satisfied with work that they don't like that isn't really the message as much as it is um when you recognize 
the ways in which you can bring, you can maintain consistency and harmony in your life by viewing the work that you are going to do through this lens of balance and simplicity, uh, you like your job more. And that was one thing that I found that when, that as, you know, my, my job, the, the actual nature of my work hasn't changed over the years. I still basically do the same thing that I've done for the past 20 years and think of technology systems and work for companies that I don't own for, you know, somebody who's got, you know, motivated by things that don't really relate to me. Um, but over time, as I started to um, really embrace these, these kind of ideas, I, I found that I enjoyed my work more. If I just, it reflected, I'm, I'm able to see more of myself in the work. I'm able to see at the end that the work is better and I can feel better about what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah. So I'd be curious if, like what your thought is on, you know, that idea of uh, it would be great if everybody could find, you know, the job that they want, if we could all be footballers, but. Um, yeah, I, th I think there's a couple of things. Um, there's a phrase, I can't remember the phrase exactly because I'm actually writing a book about phrases at the moment. But it's something like love for the, um, love for your work basically puts perfection in it essentially um, I can't remember exactly who said that but I think for a lot of people the idea of a perfect career in inverted commas is are very idealistic it's like well it's easy for you to say you know I have got a mortgage to pay I've got kids etc 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 and I get I, I get that that's why for some people they have a set uh, you know a side hustle where they're not making money at the moment but they are in line with the future product project they might be writing a book they might be starting a business they might be drawing for people that's their talent so there are quite a few talents that people have generally it's verbal talents or artistic talents or musical talents and sporting talents etc etc and i think that it's something that you should pursue outside of a job is a vocation or something that you're interested in that's that's the first thing i, I would say the other thing i would say is over time our our values change I'm not the same person and my values aren't the same as I was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, it was pretty much about money was the main value. And actually, I didn't really care. But as you grow and develop as an individual, as we talk about throughout the whole conversation of WeWare, you shouldn't have to force your a, a square peg into a round hole. Now, this is where my alternative view comes in for WeWare and going with the flow of life. So there can be flow within a job. So it's a job that you, or I don't want to use the word job for this, but a, a, a vocation that you enjoy. And it's no stress. It's 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 lovely. You love it. There's maybe a few parts that you don't enjoy, but you're never going to love everything 100%, whether it's your wife or something else. But there is an, an alternative to this is saying, okay, well, maybe it's not about finding that job, finding that career. Maybe it's about just going through the waves of life and actually finding where you need to be in five or 10 years time. Like I've heard hundreds of stories because I work as a coach, people who said I actually fell into this career after trying out X, Y, and Z. They didn't really know what it was that they wanted to do, but they fell into something and they actually ended up loving it and they didn't know how they got there in the end, but they sort of went through the, the, the job openings and moved to different cities and you know dated people etc and they sort of found their way to an end point that you could also look at it in respect of going with the flow of life so i think there's two sides to that argument of we way for careers and it's whether you need to be in a job that you get that flow state as me g semi high i can even say the name states or whether it's just 
not being overly focused and forcing your way into something, but going with the flow of life, if that makes sense. So that would be my sort of viewpoint on it. And I think if we're going to say, come back to the career side, I think that the people who are the most successful are people who love what they do, they are good at it, and they have the discipline to be able to continue to put the hours in. They're the people that make it to the top. So whether that comes from, you already know from a young age, or whether you have to go through a period of, trial and error to find your way there i think that the 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 going over the crest of uh, or following the waves of life it, it basically can apply to both of those sides of the coin if that makes sense for me anyway yeah for sure and so you know those those folks that you're describing that um you know took a the curvy route to eventually land on a on a place that made sense for them you, know, you wonder how many of them expected that that would be the destination what you know when they started whatever the the path was you know the decade earlier or whatever it was yeah you know and there's a, there's a um a part of it that is is you know in, in the nature of the, the of the contradiction I, th I think of all of it is um to what extent can you as an individual um, be um, apply your will to achieve a, a state of effortless action, right? Like if you're in a job where you feel the, there's friction and there's, and there's stress, you know, that, that, that what, what is the, the virtuous idealized state is one where there's effortless action and there's, you know, balance and harmony how much action do you, how much effortful action do you, can you, or should you apply to transforming that situation into one that then um, feels effortless? Yeah. I think I've got a few different points on that, like a few ways to sort of explain it. So Alan Watts says something along the lines of, and there's a story to this where like a Zen Buddhist guru basically said to him, look, I need you to, stop desiring this is how you learn the way you need to stop desiring and the guy comes back to him and says but the more i try not to desire i realize that i'm desiring not to desire so it defeats it defeats the object and i think what you're saying as yeah. well is that if you're having to force your way to find this position of no forcing does that defeat the object of it it's like you can't think to fix your thinking in some respects sometimes you need to stop thinking in order to be living in the present because thinking can be a detrimental thing so for me all of that boils down to determinism versus free will are you determined to get somewhere or you said as is it down to your will to change things and I'm very much, I was actually reading this the other day, I'm very much a soft determinist where I believe in determinism but I also believe in free will. And I think they can coexist. I don't think that there's just one or the other. Um, I think there is an element of both in there. Because otherwise, you know, people who've died of drug overdoses and they've gone to heroin, if you're a full hard determinist, you're basically saying that they were born to do that in some respects. And that was that was determined for them, which I, I disagree with. I think that when there is subsequent choices we make as individuals every day, do I pick up the phone to the drug dealer? Do I get money out of the cash machine? And do I continue to do that over and over again? Because there has been stories of people who have gone down that route, but due to their free will, they have decided to change. So 
I think I know that there's a lot of different points there, but that's they for me that all makes sense in one thought process because it's forcing versus not forcing. And if you're not forcing, then it has to be deterministic, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So that's one thing that I like about the the Taoist perspective, I think, is that there's a there's an imagery that it evokes of flow, which if you imagine a deterministic world is one, you're a boat on a river and you're going to get where you get to, but the waters can be turbulent or they can be smooth. And that, that, that there's the, the, the degree to which you are kind of surrendering yourself to the river or the flow and, and allowing yourself, allowing yourself to kind of embrace the ideas of effortless action, the better the ride, the smoother the ride, the happier you are. And, and so uh, that's the way that I, I tend to kind of reconcile that the determinism versus free will piece of it is that um, and the, at the end of the day, determinism sort of reigns supreme, but I think that it's, you know, to avoid annihilism and to, act, to have an enjoyable life on, on earth, you, it's beneficial to recognize that you can either, you know, tense up into the situation and be uncomfortable, or you can relax into it and, um, uh, you know, appreciate goodness and virtue and, and that that will somehow have an impact on leading you towards something better. But I don't think that that resolves that there's still a fundamental contradiction in those two ideas. And I think we, we have to operate, we have to assume that we operate at two different levels, right? There's one that is the deterministic sort of view of things, but that that is really impractical on a day-to-day that we still have to have a life to, to lead and we still have to get up and we still have to do things. And so um, uh, we have to act as if we have that choice, which is, again, coming back to the Taoist thing, that it, it, in, in words that are... are it's difficult to put into words, but the imagery that it that that the that the Tate Ching evokes is one that to me makes sense of that reconciliation of determinism versus free will. It's the flow you you sort of give yourself to it, and in doing so, you are a participant in its kind of evolution. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I like the that you used the used an example involving water because water is. Taoism, really, because it's mm-hmm. water flows anywhere; it goes to any nook and cranny it can destroy the biggest sort of body of rock that you've ever seen and i like to think of coming back to 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 your point with the river and the determinism versus free will and the the smoothness of the ride i don't know if you've heard of pascal's wager where he argues whether you believe in god or don't believe in god it there's not your life's not going to be any worse by not believing in uh, um, your your life's not going to be any worse by believing in God and behaving badly, but it could be worthwhile your long term benefit if that makes sense. Um, Aristotle also talks about a golden mean where either side of maybe sloth and overworking is that middle point, and I think it's the same with what I've been talking about over the last well ten minutes. Definitely is that middle ground of yes, you need something to aim for. But maybe you need to go with the flow as well and not be so rigid. I mean, the Eiffel Table, for example, they, it sways in the air, doesn't it? It doesn't stay too rigid because if it's rigid, it snaps. So do we as individuals need to move with whatever's going on, whether it's good, bad or indifferent? Um, 
and as you said, try and make the ride as smooth as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the you know the the fun thing about about talking you know in this in these ways is uh, that notion of resilience and um, you know in the same way that the Eiffel Tower is kind of sways and that part of its resilience is its ability to to have, to have that flex. Uh, if it was too rigid, it would, you know, I think th- this is a building design, especially here in, in California, we have a lot of earthquakes and the, the best way to make the most sturdy building in an earthquake is to make it super squishy on the bottom so that it kind of rolls with the, uh, rolls when the, when the earth shakes. Um, but I mean, that, that those, you know, that those metaphors and, and those descriptors also apply really well to, um, the kind of micro applications of the philosophy, you know, systems that flex are also resilient and systems that um, uh, are adaptable last longer. And so uh, the idea of going with the flow, you know, the, that, that notion of, of, of being in a flow state, um, it, it translates it just across the board. So that's great. Yeah, definitely. And the the flow state from Mishati Hemsi Semnihai, I can't understand his name is almost impossible to say. That's even about balance because it's finding something that's not too difficult and not too easy. It's got to be in that right middle ground because if something's too hard, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to get upset and you're going to get angry. And if something's too easy, it's just not challenging you enough. So it's all mm-hmm. about flow. And I think it's a real great example of that in terms of getting into flow state versus flow in general being right in that golden mean. So mm-hmm. you've, I think we said this off, or we talked about this off air briefly before we came on. Um, is it 81 chapters or 81 different um, ways to look at the um, the tab that you've got in your book? Is that, is that right? So the, uh, the Tao Te Ching is 81 you can call them verses. I think they're typically called chapters, but they're you know collections of words. They've all fit right. on one page, right? So it's uh, and the in the book it is just like so. For example, the the first line of the of the Tao Te Ching being um, according to your translation, but it's the the Tao that you can describe isn't going to be the internal Tao. Uh, in in the architect way, the first line is the architecture that you can fully document isn't going to be the ultimate architecture, and so. Uh, there's a lot of, of references in the book to things like a universal framework and a foundational architecture uh, with the idea of providing technologists with a um, an easy rubric that they can use to say, take the Taoist uh, thinking and apply it to their technology development. And I think that, that you know, the, the flow, there's, there's a personal flow state that we or the um, effortless action and the the um, the kind of harmony that we want to live our lives in on a personal level, which is which is real in the book. There's there's also a call out to the ways in which we want systems to also work in that same way, and how we apply how we deliberately apply our decision making in developing those systems. Um, and use the the principles in that context. And an example might be um, uh, the in thinking through the kinds of trade offs that we have to make when when it comes to designing systems. Uh, so much of how the you know the 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 building in an earthquake, right? Like there's that the contemplation of how can we get our system to be in that state. And that's a lot of what the book is about. Eighty one the eighty one chapters kind of mirror 
the parables in the original book into decisions that uh, technologists would have to make on a day-to-day basis when they're building their systems. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a few questions there because it's all about asking questions. This is the problem. How can we make this in such a way that's going to eliminate the concern for earthquakes? Because at the end of the day, you can't get rid of earthquakes. But what you can do is try to deal with the the repercussions of of said issue let's say Mm -hmm. so i think that's a really good way to to think about it and as you said asking questions is a really good way to do that so where can people find your book and where can they get copies of it how can they reach out to you uh so there's uh the book's available on amazon it is uh there's a kindle version and a paperback version um you can actually go to the architectway.com and it'll redirect you to uh to the amazon pages um Paperback book is, is is a better experience because you can just sort of flip through it and you know land on a page and get inspired. Um, Kindle doesn't give you quite the same the same experience, but the Kindle one's cheaper. So, um, but then uh, for me, I'm um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Daryl Knaus, and um, you can also uh, connect with me on Twitter or X. Um, my handle is DJK. Uh, I'm it's it's one of those things that I'm hanging on to because I'm actually. Uh, you know, in my, uh, in my book of things I'm proud of, uh, getting a, a three letter Twitter handle is one of them. And so, uh, I know they're very rare. And so I'm, I'm sticking with it to the, to the end, just because I don't want to give up that. Uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm semi-active on Twitter and, uh, you can catch me there. Fantastic. Is there any final comments you want to make about, um, your book about the Tao or just application of anything in general? Um, I think I, just, a at a at a high level, I would definitely encourage folks to to consider if it's not the Tao, a, some uh, philosophy that they can embrace that they can use to, um, you know, cover all parts of their life, and and um, I think so. People finally get a lot of value in that, and um, and thank you very much. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciate you um, having me on, and I've really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, loved it. Um, I could talk about philosophy. Uh... A lot. It's my mind is um, I enjoy these conversations, abstract way of thinking, applications of as, as you say for 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 some people that just means I'll flow, but they don't apply it to technological systems or their own life or jobs or or anything like that. And it's the application of those sorts of things that really change your perspective on life in general. And I think yeah, conversations like this with yourself, Daryl, have been fantastic. So thank you very much. All right, that's great. Thank you. Thanks again, Daryl. Cheers.